Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 339. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, what's up? This is a DC Comics podcast. We get together and we talk about the DC Comics we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Lazarus Planet Alpha issue 1. We have The Flash 790, Wildcats issue 3, Danger Street issue 2, and The Human Target issue what, 10. I forgot to read the number. Yeah. Uh, plus, I'll be looking at uh, St. Withens Day uh, for a Patreon book. So, uh, What is that? It's I'm a Grant Morrison. Uh, this is my post-Animal Man slot. Yeah. Uh, it's just a one and done, but uh, that's what I'm looking at today. Is it St. Swithens or Withens? I wasn't sure. Uh, Swithens sounds more like a name to me. Yeah. Swithin does not. But if it's Swithin, I will accept the uh, right. judgment. Uh, what's there funny is. is that I looked it up and apparently it's a UK thing and I've never heard mm-hmm. of it before. <laughs> so, uh, it's pretty great. Fair enough. I'll, you know, but more than that later. Uh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, it really is. You weren't kidding, post Animal Man. I thought you meant it in the way of, oh, I'm done with Animal Man. So this is, the, no, this is like the next thing he worked on. Oh, I didn't so, know that. I just meant it's, yeah. my, it's my, it's what's replacing that for one, right. uh, slot but back to more of a dc thing uh with the next month but yeah. uh, uh this is this is a one done so yeah that's what's coming up on the show uh, obviously our annual episode just went out uh time of recording went out today uh for everyone so mm. uh, hopefully everyone's enjoying that and uh the the results and the shenanigans but we're now properly at 2023 we can now leave 2022 behind we have dawn of dc Mm-hmm. On the horizon, yes. as the ad says, a year-long uh, initiative. Yeah, yeah, and we know what all the new books are for the first half of the year because there's that mm-hmm. big list with them all got up to, ja- yep. uh, to June. Uh, what's in the back half of the year? We'll find out. Maybe we'll get uh, some hints in yep. the next solicits. Actually, why would because it's April solicits? But I don't know. Maybe, but maybe they'll have some, you know, little hints there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, well, we'll get into all that stuff, but. Yeah, it's a new year, Matt, and... It is, it is. I was thinking to myself, maybe we should make some changes, maybe we should do some things differently. And, and I know what you're doing, you're not going to get me. What are you talking about? You're talking about doing things differently? Just just give us the, the Comixology Top 10, would you? <laughs> what have I become? I, I had a whole bit I where I was going to suggest that I wasn't going to do it anymore... Uh-huh. And then swerve you and do my thing, uh-huh. and you're just like, nah, just just give it to me, get it over with. Nah, <laughs> uh, I know, I know, I've learned. So, <laughs> all right, well, there's always time for a comic solace top ten. <laughs> I'm not Connor, who you can give hope and then just pull away and watch his face die a little bit. <laughs> I've I've learned. Coming up on ten years of recording together, Pete. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hell, we just did annual number seven of this show. Mm-hmm. We started this show in 2016, so this yeah. will be year seven come May. Yeah. That'll be seven years anniversary. Uh, so, look forward to that, I suppose. But yes, yeah, it's Comic Top 10. Uh, look at the books that came out on Tuesday, which are DC's books. Uh, so, what do you think the number one selling book as of right now in Comic is from Tuesday's books? I'm going to guess the, the thing that's closest to an event, and that's the Lazarus Planet Alpha. That is correct. That is number yeah. one. Uh, so, very good. Uh, number two is The Human Target, issue 10. Hey, yay. Uh, number three is Batman and Joker, The Deadly Duo. Okay. Uh, number four is Danger Street, issue two. Uh, number five is The Flash, 790. 
Then number six is Wildcats issue three. And then number seven is Batman Urban Legends, uh, which I think is the final issue of that. I could be yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, and then we have number eight is Batman Incorporated. Number nine is Wonder Woman 795. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be under like Wildcats. Uh, certainly feels yeah. like it's underperforming. Maybe we need a creative shift. Which this is that's like the the thing with, with Wonder Woman all the time is there'll be a good couple runs and then something will happen and then we do all new, all different again. So I don't know though. I don't I don't have an answer. Yeah. Uh, and then number 10 is actually a trade that came out on Tuesday, uh, which mm. is Avatar The High Ground Volume 2. And yes, Avatar as in James Cameron's Avatar. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, no, not not the uh, the last I'm Airbender. I'm thinking the Airbender, yeah. All right, you know. That's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah, so in fact, I think Volume 1 also came out on Tuesday. No, Volume 3 came out on Tuesday. Okay, so 2 is a little bit higher than 3. Uh, yeah, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, there wasn't a ton of DC books this week. You know, it was still a relatively late amount. Uh, I guess because we're gearing up for all this, you know, big initiative and relaunching and things. Uh, things are a little bit quieter. But we will look at Wednesday for the rest of the comic book industry. What do you think the number one book is from the rest of the batch? I'm going to guess X-Men 18. You would be correct. X-Men okay. 18 is number one. I, then I got, when, when there was a slight hesitation, I got a little bit worried because then I'm like, was there a... Was there like an event thing going on mm. that I missed? But no, I don't think so. I'm going to make you guess number two because I'm going to tell you it's not a Marvel book. It's not a Marvel book, right? Well, I have one book that comes up on on League of Comic Geeks, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know if that's it. Is it from Boom? No. Okay, so it's not that one then. Um, so then I'm going to guess that it is. It's you said it's an independent, right? So it's not, so Marvel. it's not Marvel. It's not Marvel. I'm going to guess then uh, Gunslinger Spawn. That is incorrect. No, uh, Nemesis Reloaded issue one. Mark Miller's Ooh. new uh, book. Wow. With, with Jorge yeah. Jimenez on the art, which is probably why he's not on That's Batman. Uh, so I had to scroll down to the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... To the eighth row on League of Comic Geeks before that even showed up. Issue ones on always one. show up low on that though, right? Because uh, people haven't pulled them yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I didn't even know that was a thing. Though. But Jimenez, I mean, good, good for Jimenez. We like Jimenez. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, number three is Amazing Spider-Man. Number four is Legion of X issue nine. Number five is Daredevil issue seven. Number six is Wolverine twenty nine. Yeah. Number. Seven is Mary Jane and Black Cat. Number eight is Avengers War Across Time. Number nine is Darth Vader. And number ten, uh, another non-Marvel book, but we have Black Cloak issue one, which I didn't know about, but uh, it's written by Kelly Thompson, which does make it a bit more uh, intriguing to me. My shop didn't have that in, because if I saw Thompson's name on there, I probably would have grabbed it. Um, Yeah. All new series with Meredith McLaren, a Blade Runner style mixes with saga-esque drama in a delectable fantasy sci-fi blend as two black cloaks try to solve the murder of a beloved prince in Kiros, the last city in the known world, before the murder tips the city into war. Well then, uh, I might have to try this once the... And it's a triple length issue for 4 dollars yeah. so 
Yeah, sixty-four pages for five bucks is pretty good. Yeah, that's not that's not bad by any means. Ooh, there's a Christian Ward uh, variant cover. Looks Honestly, if I if I had realized this was coming out this week, I might have suggested yeah. we read it, but yeah. I, I did not realize. So, yeah. well, that's so my my shop, like you know, the ebbs and flows of comics, like it's always heavy on DC and yeah. and Marvel. But you know, I always check because they they put them in you know groupings. I always check the independent groupings just to see. You know, that's how I ended up with the creep show, which I still haven't read, but there was a story with by Paul Dini in there. I mean, so I saw his name and I grabbed it. It's, it's a very I, common thing now to like, you know, fall fall for what creators you like when they're at Marvel or DC, mm-hmm. and then when they go to do their independent stuff, you sort of read it because it's them at that yeah. point. Uh, but, so yeah, I'd be yeah, curious this, to check this out. This was not there because if it was, and again, if I saw Kelly Thompson's name, I would have would have picked it up. Oh man, a Tula Lote cover too. Yeah, man. Good for Kelly Thompson getting uh, high-profile uh, variant covers. Yeah, uh, plus we got uh, number 13-something is killing the children, so yes, Tynan, another, yeah. obviously, creator that we're into. So, yeah, yeah nah. Uh, other than that, there's a lot more Marvel. You got Moon Knight, you got Miles Morales, Spider-Man, you got more Star Wars books, Ghost Rider. <laughs> like, they got you know, tons of stuff. Marvel released... Mm-hmm. Uh, like I don't know, fifty books this week or something. I'm exaggerating, of course, but that's what it there's seems. There's a like. lot. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. But well, there you go. That's the, the comicsology top ten. So, yeah, that is it. That is it then. Um, technically, it's only been two days since we recorded because we did the annual episode, so I don't have a whole lot yeah. of uh <laughs> wacky small talk ready yeah. for you, Matt. No, just uh, you know, I've had not much going on. <laughs> I celebrated Friday the thirteenth yesterday, so as you did, you know, yeah, as I, as I do, um, but I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to see Megan on Monday. That might be fun. Hey, yeah, yeah. I I still need to do that. Yeah, um, doing that for screams. Uh, speaking of which, actually, I won't mention it too much because uh, you know, it's a bonus episode, a collector's cut. Yeah. I did it for, but uh, I did. This is DC related. I did watch uh, the Batman versus Teenage Ninja Turtles. Uh, animated movie? I, yeah, I should watch it. My friend gave that to me because he keeps all the digital copies. Yeah, mm. uh, and he just throws me Blu-rays. I have that on Blu-ray. I should probably give it a watch. Honestly, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I went mm-hmm. in thinking it would be mediocre and bland because most yeah. of the recent DC animated movies I've seen have felt like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but surprisingly, not bad. Uh, he said it. It captures the spirit of the animated series, but also the turtle cartoon. So, and it does both of them very well. So um yeah yeah uh surprisingly violent in places as well <laughs> oh <add>. man <laughs> so so that mean we get batman up against the foot you get batman versus shredder i want i, I figured that much i don't want to you know give it that away but yeah just the idea well, i mean of, i i read the comic this is based on this was a tiny and freddie oh. williams the second comic oh it's based off of that comic yeah oh i didn't realize that i thought this was just a you know, them putting properties together for a movie. Oh, no, no, no. This is just based on that oh, comic. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Oh, nice. So. Uh, cool. But no, d- decent, decent time, actually. I was I was surprised. See, we were doing all the Turtles movies for uh, for February, and this was kind of the, the bonus episode. So, uh, mm-hmm. But I thought I'd mention it since it was uh, yeah. you know, Batman-related. So um, did you do TMNT as well? Uh, well, we've not done them yet. Uh, we're saving that oh. for later in the year because the reason why we're doing them is because there's a gotcha. new animated movie coming out uh, later this gotcha. year. Cool, so cool. we're doing all the live action ones for for February, though. Yeah, yeah, that one holds a special place. That was the first movie me and my now wife saw 
you know, we went. And funnily enough, it had uh, Chris Evans as Casey Jones. I was going to say the 2007 one, because if you mean the 1991, I'm like, you're yeah, a bit no. young for, for your first date yes, with your wife. No. That. <laughs> no, that said, so when, when I get home and my dogs are going nuts, I will, you know, from Secret of the Ooze, yell, you know, Shredder yells at their babies. You brought their babies. babies. Yeah. So I'll call my dogs and I get home. I go, my babies. <laughs> and so she heard me one day. She goes, what are you doing? I go, oh, it, it's from Shredder. Secret of the Ooze. She goes, I don't remember. I go, guess what? We're watching. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we started watching Secret of the Ooze and then, you know, on, on until we went to bed. But yeah. Oh man, that one, that one still holds up. A lot of fun. Um, you know, I think the first movie holds up. I, 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 we've not yeah. watched past the first one yet, but yeah. I've got a feeling that I'll think he secretly you as well. I have nostalgia for yes. it. Is a lot sillier and kiddie. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, the, th- it, the third it, it one didn't su- make me cringe. So yeah, the third one yeah. sucks uh, from what I remember, and I've never actually suffered through the Bay produced ones, so I don't even know what to expect Lucky. from those. Wait, I thought you did. We. I thought on our old show we covered the first Bay one. No, no, because I've only ever seen like the first fifteen minutes. I tried to watch it once and bailed out. Uh, so you don't even know what Buck Buck is? <laughs> no, I don't know what Buck Buck is. I remember Alan just completely being upset that he had to be subjected to what Buck Buck is. Ah, uh, man. Well, I'm going to see them soon because we're, we're doing them all. Ah, uh, man. I'm not, I'm not I'm not thrilled about it, but uh Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Go check out the collector's cut. Uh January yeah. season is seventies disaster movies. Uh, this week's episode was a spoof. Before airplane there was another. There was mm-hmm. the big bus, which is about a nuclear powered bus that has a swimming pool and a bowling uh, alley in it. Sounds like Snowpiercer, but before. Airplane's a better comparison with the comedy in it. Uh, yeah, but I'm just saying, you're talking about a, a big bus with a bowling alley and a swimming pool. <laughs> Sounds like one of the cars in, in Snowpiercer. Yeah. You know. Um, but yeah. The but, big, uh, bus. The big bus. That's yes. a title. Yes. Uh, and some more serious films like Cassandra Crossing and China mm-hmm. Syndrome and Poseidon Adventure. But yeah. uh, that was the one that went out this week. But anyway. Yeah. Um, sure. yeah. I mean, I suppose we'll just start the comics then. We have, sure. We, I mean, I, I, I don't have any other uh, juicy uh, tidbits. We already made fun of Connor in Iceland, so... Yeah. I hope he <laughs> makes it back. That's all I'm saying. I believe he's back. I believe he came back today. Oh, gotcha. Good, because now I have, some, uh, I have some soccer questions for him. So well, Don't ask me those. Feel... No, I'm not going to, but I have some for him, so I don't want to bother him when he was on vacation. But now they know he's back, they will fully bother him. <clears throat> the 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 bogs in the net, and that's how they went after. Yes, yes, point. yes. That's not that's not it. I I wanted to more ask about the structure of of the leagues and whatnot. Which you know, he's he's very very smart on that. When it comes to sports, Connor's got his stuff together. His taste in in movies and comics, not so much. But sports, you can trust him. Uh. I have no observation to add to this. No. I'm just saying, he he's, doesn't like Back to the Future, and that's always sus to me. What's it sus? Also, so. you've you been watching people play Among Us or something? He's sus? No, um, I work with teenagers, uh. and it's still it's still sad. Um, so, you know. That's, that's just how it goes. Plus, it's fun, it's fun to say, you know? Hmm. 
you know, that's us. <clears throat> so, Connor was born yeah. sus. Yes, he was. That's what the ginger hair uh, signifies. Can we trust him? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, Lazarus Planet Alpha, issue one, Mark Wade with Ricardo Federici on the art. Uh, which I actually didn't know before I read this, so I, 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 I opened the first page and went, oh, oh. And, and I went, oh, okay, we'll have Federici for a couple pages because there's a bunch of creators listed, right? I didn't realize there was a, a Monkey Prince backup that, you know, the different artist. So the fact that we got a, a rather large issues worth of Federici, I feel like we're being spoiled. Yeah, no, that was a nice surprise. I was not expecting the, mm -hmm. uh, the Federici art. This, this spins right out of... Uh, Batman versus Robin issue four mm -hmm. to the point where I think it's like, it's fine for us because we read that book. But I feel like if you're if you're pitching this to people and saying, "Hey, you can jump on to this kind of yeah. event thing that's happening," I feel like you can. You have to go read issue one through four of that. Yep, because it's constantly referenced, like the the situation at the start where Batman's kind of injured and Robin's flying them back on the jet and stuff. Like mm -hmm. all of it just feels like you need to to have seen that. Um, I do appreciate Supergirl being one of the main characters because she was in the the Batman Superman story, the, uh, the world, world's finest. The world's story. finest with, yeah. with Nazar. So, so you know it means something to her, and it sets up that there's a uh, this Lazarus rain all over the world because of the the volcano mm -hmm. on the island. Uh, mm -hmm. But it it largely sets up that uh, the Red Bull King, is that his name? Fireball King. Fireball. Damn it! You're the Red Bull King. I mean, actually, you like Monster more than Red Bull, right? So, you know. Well, a certain flavor of Monster. Uh, yeah. If we're going basic flavors, then Red Bull yeah. beats Monster easy. But... There you go. See? So, yeah, you are the Red Bull King. Yeah, no, Fire Bull King. Fire Bull King. Um, yeah, and he's got two henchmen, though, with even more stupid names. Uh, oh, no, because those are the ones from Monkey Prince. You haven't been reading. But those are the ones that were springing up. Um, Gold, Gold Horn King and Silver Horn King. Um that uh, he's been I always forget his name the monkey prince that he's been uh, Marcus Marcus has been coming up against okay okay uh, so yeah I mean this issue is fairly straightforward and then it splits mm -hmm. the characters that are around because there's no Justice League right now so we nope. end up with this weird hodgepodge of two groups yeah put put together to maximize their effectiveness so they're mixing the technology users because they're finding out that this Lazarus rain is also affecting technology stuff as well as magic so they're not too overloaded they're fairly spread out which i like i like that as a concept to get different people onto teams mm. you know because i am a fan of random heroes put together so yeah you, you know got I mean? supergirl with batman with uh talia and uh was, was that blue devil there with yeah blue devil's there and then you've got power girl Marvel. with mary marvel zatanna Blue Beetle and Cyborg going after the uh, the Tower of Fate yep. uh, to try and find the magic users, which, you know, by the end of the issue they do. They, they, they're yeah. able to get in. Uh, which, you know, is fun, but, you know, they each encounter one of these henchmen, uh, each group. And so we get a lot of fighting in the middle. Um, we do eventually get to Neza, who's already fighting Swamp Thing and Poison Ivy. Uh, so we got all that going. Who, yeah, who they, they, because they felt something in the green, they decided to take the fight straight to them, which I like. Um, you know, as, as avatars of the green, they should try to do more to protect the earth from something like this. Uh, and is this, do we know if this is Holland or if this is, um, uh, our, our one guy, why am I forgetting his name? Levi. 
Yeah, is it Levi or is it Alec? Do we know? I don't think there was any indication in this issue. No, okay. So I don't know. If it's Levi, that that's even cool too, because then that means Wade's bringing in, you know, the Ram V era. I mean, I think right now Levi Levi is the Swamp Thing. At least like in mm-hmm. other books recently, like in uh, Dark Crisis, like both of them were there. It was very much yeah. that Levi was the the current one in. Right. So I, I, it probably is Levi, but until okay. we're told otherwise. Um, yeah, uh, Black Alice has kind of a heart-to-heart with Monkey Prince um, mm-hmm. about stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, she has this awful past that she, she brings up and uh, how she was treated. Uh, and Monkey Prince sympathizes with her and kind of starts to bond. So I actually quite liked that scene because it was, it was, I felt like some of the middle of the issue was just a lot of fighting. With with the other the two groups fighting the, mm-hmm. uh, the henchmen, so it was actually kind of nice that there was a little bit of heart there. Um, I think what's interesting, or arguably just kind of like simplistic about this, is that this is effectively a two part story where mm-hmm. there's going to be all these one shots in between part one and two because you know right. we have the, we have this cliffhanger at the end where, um, you know, uh, Fire King Bull, Fire Bull King, whatever he's named, right? He shows up uh, to where Damien is. And mm-hmm. that's kind of the cliffhanger is that oh, we're going to have this showdown and Damien's kind of the real main character of all this. Uh, it kind of sounds like, yeah, that, this will be wrapped up in another oversized issue uh, at the end of February. And everything else in between, I don't suspect is going to advance story per much per se. No. It's just going to have different groups of heroes fighting various things that are connected to mm-hmm. this Lazarus uh, stuff. raid and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, don't get me wrong. There's some good stuff in here, like you know, yeah. where uh, like they're fighting Neza and they try and transfer power from Neza to cure Batman of his injuries, and we get that great full page of like demonic Batman, mm-hmm. uh, which is just this gorgeous, very you know, scary, painted, yeah, like demonic Batman with extra horns coming out and stuff. Uh, beautiful. Could be a cover, you know. So mm-hmm. easy. It's, it's like the second last page actually. Now I'm looking at it. Yeah. So you know that that stuff's great. Um, yeah. Basically, I thought it was fine. Like, you know, I I think it yeah. suffers a little bit from being just kind of this, like, mini event that's just kind of here to, like, yeah. almost just fill time for a couple of months before other stuff starts. Yeah, no, it feels like the, the Justice League, you know, medieval with, with the ice, right? And what was that? What was that guy? Oh, uh, um, that was Winter is Coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the Winter stuff. This is kind of what this feels like. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with these placeholder you know, fun stories, you know, that, that's letting the writer and the uh, artist do their own thing for a hot second. Um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do like that uh, they get into the Tower of Fate because Mary mm-hmm. shazams it, basically. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. you, again, you get a full page of the lightning striking the tower, and that, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's neat. It looks great. Um, there's a page in here where, you know, it's the Lazarus Planet Storm Tracker, um, and I'm, I'm feeling this is, you know, because... This is where it starts to say what the what each book is going to be about and who's going to be in it. So I do like that too. Like in the story, they take a hot second to show what. Hey, this is part of the story, right? The last, or is this an ad? Honestly, it doesn't really feel like it's, I mean, it's, it's in the middle, but I, I, yeah. there's nothing that really prompts it. I actually thought this was quite random. I felt that this should have went to the end because it felt yeah. like it felt like the sort of thing you okay. get at the end is like a checklist. But yeah. it doesn't actually, it's, it's in the middle as if it's part of the story, but it isn't really. Yeah, okay. So I took it as part of the story, and then I looked over, and on the side, did what was going to be going, right? So, like, with the assault on Krypton, which is going to be, you know, Batman, John Kent, Superman, Dreamer, 
Mercy and Power Girl dealing with, you know, this Lazarus Planet stuff. So um, I like that they took time to really focus on that. But then if also if you look at all the different locations, it's also saying like some of the stuff that they're going to be dealing with. Um, like uh, if you look at the undisclosed coastal New England town, you know, threat an unknown person found on shore, you know. So it almost reminds me of the Rip Hunter's chalkboard kind of scenarios where they're kind of seeding. I, I feel there's going to be stuff for the next year, not just Lazarus Planet, you know, as part of the Donna DC. Uh, these are where some story points are spinning out of, uh, which I think is it's kind of nice. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I still feel like it should went to the end of the book, though, because it feels no, just No, you're kind of... right. Now that I... Because I, I read this first earlier yeah. in the week, and I just remember this page making an impact, but as I go back through, it is right at the end of a sequence with Neza, and then it opens up with the Tower of Fate stuff. It, it shifts over there. So I just thought, like, oh, this is just like a, you know, whoever is establishing... But looking back through that, no, no, it, most likely an ad, right, of some kind. So, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's kind of like it's got really good art, and it's a mm -hmm. perfectly well told story. Mark Wayne knows how to write the characters, and you'll give them mm -hmm. the, the the voices that make them likable and uh, engaging. All that stuff's good. Um, the story's just kind of fine. Like it, mm -hmm. it just kind of feels like a sort of mini event that's relatively throwaway, but. Uh, has some really nice art, so I you know I, I don't have like particularly high like praise for it, but I don't have like you know I'm not mad at it either. Yeah, no, it's a fun read. I like the fact that you know because it, it it just wasn't one long story that there is this backup, and it felt paced really well this first part. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I got through the, it. I didn't read the backup for the record. I uh, oh great. I, I got to it and went, ah, I'm good. I don't need to read this. So not a fan of the art because it's, and I know what it's doing. It's doing a very manga influence because it's based off a of journey to the West hmm. um, and, and the monkey King. So I'll, I'll cover it, but do you want to, do you want to rate the first half of the story first? Or do you want me to get through this? Ah, I'm not. It's a seven. Okay. I'll, I'll give a 7.5. Uh, better reach art all the way through really pushes it over for me. So, um, so this backup is a monkey print story and it's Yang and the artist is, uh, Billy Tan, but it's Billy Tan doing a more manga style. Cause I've, I've read Billy Tan's, uh, art. Well, I've seen Billy Tan's art when he was on Green Lantern. He did a lot of Larfley stuff. It didn't look like this. So that I, I know this is a creative choice. Um, but this is a story of Neza and the monkey King and how they were once, not partners, but allies. And um, it it starts with uh, Marcus being told the story by a piece of of Shifu of Pigsy um, that that came up, um, and just uh, they they're in the heavenly realm, and Monkey King runs into Neza, who's in human form, and he has this red slash floating around him and this double-sided staff. Um, and they get to talking, and we find out that Monkey King knows, you know, that, that Neza is a, is a demon in this form, right? But he, he wants his help. Um, so they go, and he explains to Neza that he's on this journey for the Buddha to go from China to India to head west. 
So it takes place during the journey to the West, which is where, you know, Yang has been pulling a lot of the Monkey Prince lore from. Um, and uh, they're up against a King Bull Demon. And um, as part of the mission is the Monkey King has to take this um, uh, uh, a Buddhist monk named Tripitaka uh, uh, to retrieve a set of the sacred sutras. And so this uh, King Bull Demon, of course, is trying to stop him. So um, they end up uh, teaming up, even though Neza is like, well, I, you know, I'm not worthy of this. You know, I, I shouldn't be helping you. I'm, you know, but um, because without my red sash, you know, he'll revert back into the Neza that we've seen. Because um, this is after he had been defeated um, and then sent to the, the heavenly realm. Uh, but Monkey uh, Prince points out, or Monkey King points out to him that, like, well, no, Neza, you have learned from your time on Earth. You are not that person anymore. And that, um, you know, you chose to to help me and take down the, you know, King Bull Demon. Um, and during the fight, King Bull Demon sprouts an extra set of arms. So he's looking like Goro from Mortal Kombat. And he pulls his magical fan out of his mouth. So it's all very weird you know, Chinese mythology stuff, um, which then Monkey King, you know, or Monkey Prince, as he's being told this story, it cuts in and out. And he tells uh, Pigsy, he's like, he pulled the fan out of his mouth. And he's like, you pull your your staff out of your ear. It's not that weird. Um, so I like that Yang was taking time to kind of poke fun at all of this stuff. Um, but yeah, so, so at the end, uh, Monkey King leaves uh, Neza, um, with back with his red sash, where he gets confronted by the King Bull Demon's child and wife, and that we find out that you know King Bull Demon was just trying to you know do what he needed to do for him, and now um, this team of uh, of heroes had let him uh, basically left him fatherless, or left the kid fatherless. So um, Neza breaks the staff and gives the kid half of the staff. Then um, it says many centuries later, this is when the, um, this is when the, uh, this is actually when the bull demon dies and he's not just defeated. Uh, when Darkseid, which is from Monkey Prince Zero, um, Darkseid kills King Bull Demon and the princess, uh, who's the kid's mom, leaving him an orphan, which leads Neza to, to raise him. And at this time he's known as Red Boy. Uh, and Marcus puts this together that Red Boy is the one that becomes uh, King Fire. It's King Fireball, so we're, we're mixing it up. But um, And he wants to kill Neza, to which Saifu points out, that, you know, things between fathers and sons are never easy. You should know better than anybody. Um, and then that's where it ends. So it says to check out Monkey Prince 10. So we'll get the tie-in from there, which I'm pretty sure you won't read, but you guys can... Catch on me to get everyone caught up since yeah. it is part of this Lazarus planet. But yeah, um, the art style is not my thing, but it, it's definitely a choice by Billy Tan, which I I do appreciate nonetheless. I just, manga art's not for me. So um, yeah, uh, I'll rate this one like a, a seven. So I'll give the whole book like a 7.5. I like how you corrected me with the name earlier and yeah. it was still wrong. <laughs> yep, I know. It's... It's just the order that, that the Chinese names are getting put in 
is it almost feels like a grab bag. I know that there's a logical sense because like in Spanish, you put the subject after the noun. Um, I think I might have that wrong. If you're a native speaker, you speak fluently, please correct me. But um, I know how to speak it a, a little bit. I feel in Chinese, it's, it's a lot of the same. So when you get the translations, this is where we get the, you know, fireball king or king fireball, king bull demon. Plus, there's just so many of them, it's hard to keep them straight. So, you know, but yeah, it's it was a fun read. I, I like this Lazarus planet going forward. So far, it has not let down. So this might be one issue. <laughs> no, because I'm counting the Batman versus Robin okay. stuff in there, too, as as part of that. And Monkey Prince, because I did get caught up. So, you know, I've been in this for a little bit longer in, in the headspace, maybe, than you have. So. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, all right. The Flash, 790, Jeremy Adams rating with Roger Cruz on the art. Uh, seems like Matt liked the issue, given the noise he's made. Yes. I, did the, I had to do the Tim hand rub. That's because I really enjoyed this. It was like classic Flash in, in the best way. So. Well, this is the first part of the One Minute War, and mm-hmm. it sets up that this is a a full Flash family story. We get numerous Flashes and speedsters. Uh, to basically sum up what the premise of this is, is that there's this alien race that are invading Earth, and the way that they take over planets, which they sort of tease at the start, and we find out through the issue, is that they're, they're big ship, they're big... Uh, mm-hmm. It's not quite penis-shaped, but like that second it's- page is very phallic-looking to me. With it coming towards Earth, but as yeah. that's as that's arriving through on Earth, the way that they uh, they conquer worlds is that they slow down time, and everyone kind of effectively freezes in time. However, what they're perhaps not expecting here, what their sisters kind of getting that, is that all of the speedsters in the Flash family are uninfected by it. They all right. because they can move it super quick because uh, the speed or, force, yeah, or just maybe it's just a connection to the speed force. Mm-hmm. They all don't freeze. So a lot of this first issue of the story is a little bit set up. You know, there's like a barbecue or whatever with uh, mm-hmm. Wally's family and Animal Man's family. So we get that kind of going. Plus there's some Titans in the background. Mm-hmm. But by and large, this is us going around where each of our speedsters are. So you get Wally, Barry, Wallace, uh, Bart, Max, Jay, in there. Max, Jesse, yeah. the, whole, the whole shebang. We go around all of them, and it's where they all are and who they're around when the people around them start to freeze. Mm-hmm. So it does this this job of feeling like a, you know, like the ship arriving. It's very like Independence Day almost, where we're going around seeing mm-hmm. how everyone's seen like this thing arrive in the sky. Yeah. But it's having this effect on the world. So all the speedsters are like, wait, why? Why is everyone stopped moving? What's wrong? Um, mm-hmm. And then when the ship actually lands in the water, there's actual destruction and devastation and. We get a cliffhanger at the end where Iris might be uh, hurt. I don't think she's dead, but... I don't think she's dead, but, but I mean... Barry's letting out a no as if she is. <laughs> yeah. Um, was not expecting that. I did love seeing Jesse Quick in Our Man, right? Which I would love that there's a spin that Our Man can, can also be part of this because of his one-hour power, right? Because in a one-second war where time is split down, man, he's... He's just as effective as the Flash would be, you would think. Um, but it might just be he's here because he's married to, to Jesse. Mm. And, you know, they were they were taking care of stuff um, together. But, yeah, um, seeing seeing Jesse Quick on here being included as part of the Flash, fam- uh, Flash family is always nice. Um, so, uh, but, yeah, I just like the whole dynamics between everybody. We get 
stuff between Kid Flash and Impulse, where he's talking to him, he's like, oh, so you're taking to the Kid Flash name now, huh? You know, and they kind of start bickering in the only way that Bart can, can you know, get out of people. Well, yeah, because um, Wallace is about to take on some bad guys, and yeah. Bart rushes in and does it first, and accuses Wallace of being jealous, yeah. uh, or vice versa. But, there's, there's, you know, they're, they're bickering about who's who's better and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, there's stuff with the Iris and Barry, where it looks like Iris is about to propose to Barry. She's sort of yeah. talking about her, the relationship needs to have a future. And she whips out what looks to be an engagement ring, and then that's right mm-hmm. when the uh, the time freezes. And you know, it's done in some fun little ways where you're seeing like um, people not moving in the background, uh, you know, dropping glasses of you know water or whatever to the, the floor. They're frozen. Uh, there's like a fly in front of his face mm-hmm. that just sort of stays there still. Um, and then obviously the destruction happens, and he has to try and yep. save Iris because there's a shock wave. So all around, you see all the speedsters like try to save the people. Yep. that are closest to them and all that stuff i think what i like about this premise uh is that it's a premise that inherently makes that so that it can just be the flashes that are involved like yep. immediately there's no question is okay so why aren't the rest of the justice league getting involved mm-hmm. if, this, if this alien species is landing right. a ship in a very public place and they're trying to take over the world well because they can't literally the right. speedsters are the only ones who can operate quick enough to actually deal with this and given yeah. that it's called the one minute war it's effectively all going to take place over the space of a minute in real time obviously for the flashes it's much longer than that but right. to the rest of the world it's only a minute they're not aware yeah so like the supermans and the batmans and the wonder Woman's aren't aware this is even happening yet you know and even if they were it's the one minute war right it's going to take them even superman more than a minute to to respond you would think so um, yeah, I like how that's baked in, that this is a Flash family event. Um, I just think conceptually it's just this really uh, strong. Like, it felt like a really mm-hmm. good strong premise just from this first issue uh, to, to just give them something that's unique to them that only they can solve. And mm-hmm. um, not that so much that the villain that we get a glimpse of seems that yeah. interesting on his own, but I think just the gimmick of what how they actually try to attack uh, yeah. should make this a pretty memorable uh, yeah. threat for the flash family so well, and, and it helps that it's not somebody like the dominators people that we've seen before either you know that it is a seemingly new group and they launch like almost like this this arrow into the earth and then set up this wall and the fact that the this leader of this invasion is like begin the calling man it makes it it makes it pretty dark uh too which is a nice counter to, to the flash which is you know flash books tend to be a bit lighter um you know so I do like that dynamic at play here. But yeah, no, Adams really knows how to use the Flash family effectively. I really, I really do feel like it's become, you know, not just Wally's family, but the entire Flash family. And uh, I appreciate that. Well, there's only one issue of that so far, really. Right, but this could have just been Wally's, you know what I mean? Like, but, but the fact that we've gotten him and, him and Wallace throughout Adams' run, you know, it just... I, I feel like he is writing there, this with there's the Flash been, family in There's been mind. sprinklings of the other Flash family members mm-hmm. throughout the run, but I would say this is the first issue where it feels like it's actually trying to bring them all yeah. together. Uh, but certainly it's been Wally's family's book, and it has mm-hmm. been that since the start. So mm-hmm. showing them all together, which really does beg the question, because I'm not sure if they actually... Uh, 
Because I don't think we go back to them in the book, do we? Like, because we start with them, so we don't yep. we don't get much of what actually happens once everything freezes with them. We get kind of just yeah. them looking up into the sky and seeing that yeah. something's coming, and then we go to all the other family members uh, mm-hmm. around different places for the actual more you know sizable things that are about to happen. Yeah. So we don't actually get a, a solid answer if say, okay, is Iris frozen? Because she technically has speed powers right now. We don't know. Um, not Iris, Linda. Linda, sorry, not Iris. Yeah, you're right. I'm mixing the spouses up. Uh, yep. And then the kids. Well, it makes sense that Irie probably isn't frozen, but maybe right. her brother is because yeah. he doesn't have Jay, speed powers. Not exactly. Yeah. Yeah. His powers aren't exactly speed force based, or you know. So. Um, you know, so because it seems like it seems like people that can touch the speed force are the ones that are, the ones that are are you know not bothered by this. But it's it's especially notable to me that we don't get a hint of uh, how mm-hmm. what happens to them. I mean, it starts with them because it's t- this is Wally's book first and foremost, right. and you've got this big happy occasion with people celebrating, which again is a nice sort of uh, yeah, you know, uh, like so when the the bad stuff happens, it feels like oh we just you know it's it's, mm-hmm. it's writing one on one is like if people right. are too happy, it means something bad's about to happen because you're going right. to feel the, for the you're going to yeah. feel the gut punch of it even more. So. Yeah. I think that's smart from a writing perspective, um, but it is very interesting that we don't really get, you know, because we, we cut back to the others. Like, you know, we introduce Jesse and then we come back mm-hmm. to her when the actual ship arrives. You know, we go back to Wallace and Bart, even though we've already introduced them, whereas we never go back to that barbecue scene. I don't think we do. I'm skimming no, through the book do. now. No, we do. On the page where we see Jesse and Bart and, and Wallace um wally's running over to the kids and just says kids oh so we get one panel that's the last but that's it yeah we get one panel of them running towards the kids okay yep uh and then you have you have barry getting thrown through a window you have jesse trying to you know respond to some rubble that's being thrown and then uh she gets knocked back and then you have uh barton and wallace yeah that, that wasn't barry that was jay getting thrown through a window Oh, that is Jay getting th- thrown through the window. I got thrown off because of the, the blonde. Yeah, that, that's um, him in the bar, yeah. That's right. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, really strong issue. My only mm-hmm. real critique, I think the art is solid, but I was a little disappointed that it was a different artist because I preferred uh, the regular artist. Pensica. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Roger Cruz. I just feel like some of the facial proportions are a little bit off sometimes, like especially at that barbecue. Uh, in the beginning, uh, and then the 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 page right before or it's on the page, the moment right before, it looks like Iris is going to propose. Wally or um, Wally, Barry's face looks a little bit weird. Like the proportions seem off, you know. Um, you know, they're just little nitpicks, though. I mean, the art it has a fluidity to it that I always love in a flashbook. And like when we get that Max Mercury scene, it looks really great, just like the breakdowns there. So. Uh, but yeah, uh, the art's fine. Not my not my favorite though. Definitely, Roger Cruz isn't you know setting my world on fire. Yeah, I definitely preferred the the regular art. So it was a little disappointing. Uh, even though this story feels like it's probably the biggest story of the run so far, it feels like uh, an event within the, the the run. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. uh, it feels like a turning point in the run. So uh, I'm glad it feels big because I've I've enjoyed this book uh, all throughout this run. Uh, from sort of, you know, good to sometimes bordering on great degrees. And I kind of like that this feels like it's elevating it a little bit, and it feels like we're actually hitting, like, a, a real stride and, like, a real big Flash story, which is is cool. 
Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we're, this is actually shipping twice a month while this this arc is on. Yep. So we'll have another issue relatively soon. No, next week I already peaked. So, well, that's that's back to back weeks. That's quicker than yeah, yeah. That's quicker than you know. I mean, that's still twice a month, right? So, um, but yeah, I peeked forward to see what we got coming out next week in Flash nine, uh, seven nine one. So ne- next week's pretty pretty busy. So I uh, would have liked for it to be on the next week, but uh, yeah, I'm surprised. That makes me think this one got delayed a week. Maybe let me look. Yeah, no, you might be right. Yeah, because then there's none the following week, and then we're back to the one minute, uh, one minute war special. Um, on the last on the first week of, um, February. Yeah, that makes me think this one got delayed a week, mm-hmm. and that's why there's two back to back. Because that, yeah. from a scheduling perspective, that doesn't make any sense. No, uh, to have them back to back. So. Uh, although weirder things have happened in comics, uh, of course. True. So, um, yeah, no, I, I you know, I, I, it was an exciting read. It feels like a much, honestly, comparing this to uh, Planet Alpha, this feels like a much better event, to be honest. Yeah. It's, it's just a story within the flashbook, which is yeah. nice because it just feels like a big pivotal story in a longer ongoing run, as opposed to, oh, we're doing all this wacky shit to make it feel big. This just feels big in and in and of its own world and of its own context, which uh, it, it feels, feels more which, more contained. Which feels more important to me. It feels more impressive. Uh, uh, or, or, let's just say that feels more. It feels more impactful to me uh, to do it that way. Uh, so, all right, what are you giving Flash seven ninety? Uh, I'm gonna give this an eight. Uh, I'll go the eight point five. I'm yeah. I'm feeling quite happy about it. Uh, so. That's Flash 790. Uh, Wildcats, issue three. Matthew Rosenberg writing with Steven Segovia on the art. Uh, This is a book that I um, continue to read because there wasn't a lot out this week. (laughs) I will tell you that if if this was a week like that's coming next week, this would have gotten skipped. Um, And it's no no fault of the book's own, just because it's on the priorities. well, I, I, give Rose- I, I don't know. It's 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 weird because uh, like I'm reading it and it reads fairly well enough, but like it keeps throwing more and more characters at me, and I feel like I've still not learned who the main characters are, and I'm just kind of yeah. like, I feel like I'm just going through the motions when I read it now because like, and it's only issue three, but not that right. far in, and I already feel like I don't know. I, I feel like I'm close to just saying nah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, the whole seven soldiers thing was a hat on a hat. I feel. Because they don't really, as of yet, they don't feel that important. Uh, I feel like this book really is at its best when it is, it's Grifter and Zealot together. Because, um, like, the back half, I really, really enjoyed. You know, once once they start getting into their special mission with Fairchild, um, I, that's where I feel like it, the book really works well. And just throwing the Seven Soldier stuff and all these characters, which... With me, and I know this is my own fault, I have to know who all these characters are. Which So that leads me to, as I'm reading, pull my phone out, and let me try to figure out who some of these characters are. You know, like yeah, Majestic. Because they, fe- they feel familiar, like I should know who they are, right? But so far in the story, they don't have much importance. If that makes sense. I mean, 
they set up that they're going to be important though, because mm-hmm. like we, we spend a page introducing them all, and then the the the, the main group all react to who they are. Yeah. Right. So it's setting up that there is some conflict. Obviously, Grifter ends up punching one of them, yeah. uh, but <laughs> to get fired, you know, um, right? Well, not really. Possibly right. fired. He gets sent on leave. He's right. not fired yet, and then he's asked to come back before the end of the issue, making it right. relatively meaningless. Nothing. Yeah. Uh, no, so this issue starts with uh, a very, you know, tried and true comic trope of here's something that's happening later in the issue for a page, and then we go back to earlier. This felt really disjointed to me, though, because, like, we, we ended the last issue with this cliffhanger of uh, the reveal of the Seven Soldiers, and then after this first page, it goes back to that. It goes back to that exact moment and picks up and we find out that this is the PR team. Like, so the main team's doing all the real work, and then this is the team for the press that is going to do the interviews and the, the photo ops and all that sort of stuff. And I just kind of felt like... It's almost like the, the, there was a lack of confidence where we have to promise there's going to be action later. And I'm like, yeah. it's a comic book. No one would have been worried that there wasn't going to be action later in the issue. So mm-hmm. it feels just really disjointed for me, because like, if you're going to pick up straight where the last one left off with its cliffhanger, then just start with that. Right. Just start right. with it. <laughs> um, especially since, uh, like, but it, I mean, I'm not saying you can never do it, but I, I think in this case, because, like, you're you're introducing seven new characters immediately, don't, mm-hmm. like, muddy my mind with, like, action to come later. Like, yeah, <laughs> you're I just agree because making it messy to me. I remember, you know, them introducing this new team stuck in. So when I open up the book and it's Grifter falling off of a building or whatever. I was like, wait, what happened to with the press con? Like, who are these new characters? Um, yeah. And, and then, then, yeah, so it goes back to the thing. And then page three is a 16-panel page introducing all yeah. seven of these characters. And each character gets a reaction from someone else mm-hmm. on the main team. So there's a lot going on in that page. Yeah. Um, and... Don't get me wrong, I like the idea of there being a PR team and then the real team that's actually doing all the dirty work. Like, that, there mm-hmm. is an interesting concept there. Yeah, um, sure. And, you know, Grifter and Zealot do have their moments of, of humour, uh, as they always do. Uh, but the, the team without Grifter sent to, uh, what, rescue a kid, I think? Yeah, uh, so it's some diplomat's kid that if something happens to the kid, it's going to cause World War Three. you know? So the stakes are high up, and, you know, they... It looks like the Court of Owls is, is involved. Because uh, uh, Grifter know, does show up. Well, we don't know if they're involved with that. Because the Court of Owls thing is Grifter goes to... Uh, well, so while they're doing this, Grifter goes yes. to interrogate That's this guy who's, who he thinks might be related to these owl dudes that he's encountered. Yes. And okay. it turns out that he's right because, yep. you know... Sure enough, I mean, there's a there's a ready body, there's a regular bodyguard first who he throws out the window, uh-huh. right? That happens first, but then a talon shows up to fight him, and yep. I don't get me wrong. The funniest moment of the book might be Grifter is his uh, narration saying, "Oh wait, I'm actually right. I was right. Yeah. My hunch paid off. Was, I'm right, damn it." Yeah. Uh, That's right. That I was... conflated the two just because of the 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 actiony sequences. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, 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 there's no owls. I mean, the kids still no. be connected to it, but there's nothing yeah. in the issue that connects them to no. the, uh, the the kid that the others are saving. Yeah. Uh, but so, then they teleport Grifter to the others right. to help with that action scene, um, which leads to all the helicopter stuff. Uh, yeah, I do love Rosenberg's voice for Grifter though, because he's like, "Wait, how are you gonna teleport me?" He's like, "Oh, we injected you with nanites. You did what?" And as he as he's saying, "Like you did what?" They're teleporting him away. 
from this fight with the Talon. And I just, the pacing of it, it does make me laugh on a consistent basis. Yeah, no, the actual way the story's told and the action is laid out is by and large entertaining. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many goddamn characters. So many characters, so much going on, and it's, yeah. But yeah, I do like and when Grifter does show up. It's so many characters as well that are new to us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they're not all new, in fact, most no. of them aren't, but... Right. But for us, specifically, most of them are new. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like Maul, the one character that looks like the Hulk. I remember him from, you know, like the 90s Wildcats stuff. Like, you'd go into the local comic book store and they'd have posters. And I recognize him. I have no idea what his deal is. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, not so there's a lot of that. Or like Majestic is, I remember a Majestic comic book in the early 2000s when I was starting to get back into comics. You know, but like, again... I feel it's a kind of Shazami thing where he's actually a kid and there's some modification or whatever, like science, he's like science Shazam almost. Um, yeah, I, but think, I could be completely wrong. I have no idea. And honestly, I, I think I felt a little bit annoyed as well that there's this action scene where the helicopter goes on for ages and then it kind of ends with him just still falling. Like he's literally, it ends with him still falling through the sky from the helicopter thinking he may die. And Meaning that we've not actually advanced past what that opening page was, really, beyond a few yeah. seconds, anyway. Because uh, because because t- they teleport everyone else out with their nanites, uh, as right. has been set up. But and he's still just like, he's still just he's falling through the sky. Yeah. Uh. Right. So. Yeah, but I, I do like what with Fairchild, right? That happens here, where where Fairchild talks to the kid, right, to to put the kid at ease. I like that. I like that scene. Mm. So. You know, there's some good little character stuff in here. Um, but yeah, it's just, it is kind of a grab bag of a book, you know, where there's, there's some stuff I really like and there's other stuff that I'm just kind of eh on. Um, but it's it's not like, I'm never annoyed that I'm reading it, you know, like, like this is a fine book. I don't mind that, you know, that Rosenberg, so I can tell that Rosenberg and Segovia both are putting some work in on this, you know. Yeah, I think I'm done. No? Yeah? I'm, I'm going to uh, stick through... I say this right now. Unless it's a super busy week, I'm going to stick through the first arc. That, that's what I tend to do. I, I'm not going to be like, you know, Connor with his red hood, you know? But um, I'm going to stick through just to see where this goes. I just... I, I just... I find myself just going through the motions while reading this and not really being that into it beyond just, like, the odd moment here or there. And at the end, just kind of feeling like, eh, I, I could have just not bothered. <laughs> and I would have not felt any, you know, like I'd missed anything. So I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just, okay. I think fundamentally, I just don't care enough about these characters. And I'm not saying that they can't make me care. I think there's been like glimpses of hope or glimmers mm-hmm. of hope that he, you know, Rosenberg could make me care with, uh, yeah. you know, the, the story in Urban Legends and then like parts of the first issue of this. But both as they've went on have sort of dwindled for me because it starts just throwing in a bunch of characters rather than like slowly introducing them and like building them up one by one kind of thing. It's like, here's a bunch of characters. And you can get away with that to an extent in other like event style books when there's like all Justice League members and stuff Mm -hmm. because I know who a lot of them are and I can latch on to most of them. So if there's one or two that I don't know, it's not a big deal. Here, I just kind of feel like... Ah, you know what? This is for people who know all these characters. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that new reader reader friendly. It, it's certainly not uh, month to month. Like maybe in trade form, it reads better because you're you know I've 
I may yeah. have just had the introduction to the main characters like recently if I'd been reading it all in one swoop. So, yeah, uh, I'm not really feeling it. I think I think I'm done with Layla Cats. Hmm. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. As long as it's not too busy, I will definitely be checking this out. Segovia's ours good. Look, you know, I'm gonna... Yeah. Yeah. Uh... It really it has that '90s style to it without any of the drawbacks to me. Like it, it feels like Jim Lee of that era, but ref- a little bit more refined. Anything that's just Segovia style, you know. Mm. So I think it's a good fit for these Wildstorm characters. I mean, the action flows well enough, and uh, all that. So I, I have no real complaints with the art per se. Uh, all right, what are you giving Wildcats three? Uh, I'm gonna give this a seven point five. Yeah, I'll just give it a fair six, I think. Uh, okay. But yeah, yeah, I think I'm good. Okay, Danger Street, issue two, Tom King writing with Jorge Fornes on the art. So, you know, I, I, I could have used the previously on and like a list of the characters that were in it at the start yeah, of this because yeah. there's a lot of characters in this book uh, that, again, are largely like, you know, minor characters that most people wouldn't know prior to this story. So uh, I, I think... um. To compare it to to Wildcats for a second, though, I think this is doing something far more interesting with the way it builds its story around all these characters, though. So even mm-hmm. though I don't know a lot of them from from before, They're, yeah, it's almost compartmentalized the characters, right? Like we have we have Lady Cop and the Danger Street Kids, right? As a Chuck interacting with each other, then you have uh, Warlord and Starman, and and their thing. Uh, you have uh, the creeper and the green team. And who am I forgetting? There's there's another, um, another piece. Oh, the stuff with with dark side on uh, with with the new gods. So I do feel like Tom King is very good at compartmentalizing each of these, and then they they kind of weave in and out of each other. So that's how I'm able to to keep it. Now, do I know all the name of the Danger Street kids? Not really. I I remember good looks now because he's the one that got killed in the last issue. Yeah, and they say his name a lot in this one. They so. say his name a lot because they they have his funeral, right? Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll you know just out of I know where these threads are because there's there's some familiar stuff in there. Yeah, uh, so just to sort of go through because there is so many like different parts mm-hmm. to each of the stories. Uh, we have the funeral for good looks, uh, mm-hmm. and we get the nine panel grid. We get the other kids talking at his funeral, and then we get the sad reveal in page two that. It's only them and Lady Cop that are actually at the funeral, yeah. and I'm like, "Where's the, where's his parents? Where's his parents?" Yeah, <laughs> it almost that almost feels like the Danger Street kids are kind of not not orphans, but like their parents don't care enough, and maybe Good Looks was was an orphan, and this was his family. But yeah, that was a definite moment when when it pulled back, and it's only those kids and Lady Cop. It was it made me a bit sad. Yeah, no. I, that- it's the idea that they're forgotten, that no one cares, and mm-hmm. you know. Then we go to Warlord and Starman getting a a hotel room, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, like Starman's obviously riddled with guilt because he's killed a child uh, in the last mm-hmm. issue, uh, and it really sort of plays with that uh, th- throughout his part of the story. Yeah. Where later on he's like saying, "Oh, we can fix this. Maybe we can use Fate's helmet to like change things back because." He wasn't supposed to die, so we're just putting things the way they should be. And it really makes... Because if you remember back to issue one, 
their mm-hmm. thing was that they were trying to prove that they were worthy of being on the Justice League by summoning and potentially beating Darkseid. Yeah. The fact that that sounds ridiculous in and of itself, but not only did they fail to do that, it, they murdered an innocent child. Yeah. Like, talk about, you know, a job I've made a huge mistake uh, yeah. <laughs> style moments here. For, for sure. I didn't even think about that, but yes, it is very much, I've made a huge mistake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but more devastating than it's told. Yeah, obviously. I mean, because there's no, I mean, I do like how Starman points out, like, we have Fate's helmet, we can do magic. But I was like, yeah, the last time you guys did it, a kid ended up dying. So who, wh- how much worse is, is this thing going to be trying to bring the kid back? Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, which is why I don't think Warlord's entertained it for a second. Right, you know, he doesn't, right. he, he, he's not on board with this plan. This, this, this feels like Starman grasping out of desperation yeah. to try and fix yeah. it because he can't live with what he's done. So, right. yeah, there's a lot of weight to that part of the story. Uh, we have, um, the Manhunter uh, blowing up a yacht that's got rich yeah. people on it. And then we have a great page where he's walking out of the water with a fire in the mm-hmm. background. It's really, really pretty. And that takes us to the Jack Ryder stuff where he's on the his new show that the green team have given him. But the one sort of catch to it is that he has to like basically shovel propaganda about the outsiders and right. blame them for this terrorist attack. And that's all he's constantly talking about through all of his segments on the air. Even though we see that when he's off the air, he does question, well, like, I'm looking into this. In fact, we even see him do it as the Creeper. He's actually yep. questioning someone. Uh, uh, someone that should know a little bit of everything. And he's got this guy beaten to a pulp. Yeah. And is like, well, who are the outsiders? And he goes like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. Like, for real. Well, that's and, the thing. I think know. we heard the name Outsiders in issue one, and mm-hmm. we immediately think of the, you know the Outsiders. We think of uh, the Metamorpho, the t- Katana, Black Lightning, yeah. and Batman. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even though I wasn't necessarily thinking it was going to be that exact squad, oh. I was like, oh, it'll be something akin to that. But right. they're shielding it in so much mystery where it feels like almost like the Green Team have just made up an enemy that they mm-hmm. want to blame for everything. Like I'm it, not, conv- I'm not convinced the Outsiders are a real thing no. in this book. That that's where I left this is is the fact that we get this this segment where where Jack Ryder wants to talk to the Commodore and we'd heard about the Commodore being on the ship, on the yacht. Right? And the, the Commodore, these... this is we should make this clear. The mm-hmm. Commodore is the I assume the leader of the Green Team. He is one of the so, kids. So this is what I picked up on because there's a guy that they have that um, what's his name um. God, who's who's the their? It looks like the Green Team's uh, security guy. Um, he's he's got the the. Uh, it's not Manhunter. He looks like the Metropolis Guardian. Why am I drawing a blank? Um, but anyways, they they have a guy tied up there. That's who I think the Commodore is. And I think no, that no, 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 no. That's the same guy that Jack Ryder was interrogating as a creeper. Was it? Yeah, it's same name. I have to go back. I have to go back and look. Because that guy looked like he was beaten to a, a pulp, so... Yeah, it was the same guy that Creeper was interrogating. So it was, it was showing you that the Green Team are covering, like, any, like... like The idea that Creeper's investigating it, they're, like, covering any tracks of anyone who mm-hmm. could possibly... Uh, okay. Like, detect who the Outsiders are, or what the gotcha. lie around this is, you know? Like, so I... Because there's so much going on there, I, I mistake that this guy was... Was the Commodore... Um, and that they're they're taking, you know, they're they're creating this idea of the outsiders. I'm trying to get back to the 
God, this book's so dense. Yeah. Man, Pete got me good on that one. That yeah. is the guy. Yeah, not the Nat. That's his name. Not the Nat. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, um, Creeper's interrogating him. Uh, and when he doesn't know anything, Creeper tells him to look into it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you know who will have questions, who have answers. Uh, which next time we see him, the green team is like executing him. Uh, well, well, while he's while the Commodore, quote unquote, is on the phone to yeah. Jack Ryder, and he says, "Oh, there's some machinery in the background. If you hear a noise, then you hear the the bang and it's like, yeah, super loud. You know, super villainous. These might be some of the worst villains that Tom King's ever written." <laughs> and they're and they're rich kids, which don't you know? Um, well, yeah, there's, there's that scene of them in the middle of the book with them. They're playing like poker, and one of them is telling this story, this joke mm-hmm. um, about uh, someone asking God like how effed he is, and because he's in like a bad part of town, he's like, "You're not effed. Well, here's what you do: you you go up to like, the biggest meanest guy and you punch him in the face. So he does so, and then if so he does, he punches the, the this big guy with tattoos. And says, "Okay, what now?" And then God says, "Well, now you are effed." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so that, that's that's the sort of humor that they're uh, they're rolling with, and definitely it feels like, uh, it feels like that's their attitude with anyone who challenges them. Uh, it, it would seem like, um, yeah. So, and then the other part of the story, of course, is Lady Cop going around questioning all of the. Uh, the workers at all the various gas stations up and down the highway because they they think they know the car from the tire prints that was there the one that warlord and co were driving mm-hmm. and she's questioning everyone who works at all these stations and basically we get this idea that it's very f- futile like no one knows anything it's like oh they all see hundreds of cars every day no one remembers anything uh to the point where she's like really like down and depressed about uh, not having any leads and the kid even yells at her and she's like feels bad she can't give them an update and say that they've got something concrete. Uh but then of course, towards the end of the issue, she does actually find someone who remembers. Uh and because they're they're a car person and they want yeah. to, you know, they were they were impressed by the car, so they remembered it. And uh you know, that sort of leads up for one of her cliffhangers at the end, which is oh, she does have some kind of a solid lead now. because uh, we get kind of like a montage at the end where Manhunter is going to blow up something else again because it's not even the, the second time he blows something up. There's another no. one in the middle of the book where he. It's the refinery, right? Yeah, it's a refinery, which yeah. is pretty dark because we just like, cut to this refinery where there's like a guy talking yeah. and then there's an explosion and then you literally just see like a skeleton and like the guy's hard hat <laughs> at the bottom of the yeah. page. It's really good stuff. Uh, but yeah, so she has a lead by the end. She has like a car. And that's what's so funny about this is that. It does feel like there's two, like, there's like four or five things going on, but they kind of mm-hmm. split into two clear things that are connected. And I'm really wondering how they're all going to connect yeah. later on in the story. Because, well, because Lady Cop and the Danger uh, Street Kids, yeah, they, they obviously connect to the Warlord and the Starman stuff because that's the who's behind the murder of the kids. So those right. are already like coming to a convergence. And worth mentioning, the kids all make a pact to find whoever did this and kill them. And, right. There's that. And then, so, you know, there, and so that leads to, because there's a scene with High Father and Darkseid, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a quick scene, yeah. <laughs> so High Father, High Father goes to, to Darkseid, and Desaad starts doing his whole thing, and High Father's like, I don't got time for this, I want to see my friend. And then he calls Darkseid by his given name, which is like Uxus, right? And then they embrace, because 
whatever when when uh warlord and starman summon atlas it almost is like a, this first domino falling of the death of the new gods that's how i read that right and that's well, a very that is a very jack kirby-esque thing um, yeah well they, they killed play. atlas right 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 and so he goes atlas is is gone right and that's when they end up hugging um yeah, so it's yeah. almost like they know that their time as the fourth world has always been a thing that's fascinated me with the new gods is that there was always this idea that the superheroes would usurp them as the fifth world right they are the mass they are the new gods of the fourth world and that earth the reason why earth is such this crux is that that's the superheroes are meant to become the new new gods the gods of the fifth world um and that was the thing that kirby was always playing with because you know Deep down, the new gods are based off of all these different mythologies, especially Norse mythology, and that the Norse mythology mythologies about cycle. Like when Ragnarok happens, everything just happens, starts back up again. And What's funny about that? Version. What's funny about this concept is that it's not like it was the big superhero. It wasn't the Justice mm-hmm. League who killed the new mm-hmm. god. It was these pair of idiots right. who wanted to prove themselves that may potentially start a domino effect because just by chance not because there's actually right. some big change that's really going to come but it may happen now because they believe it's happening because of this death right uh, and that's that, well, that's i think that's quite fascinating because it, mm-hmm. it it sets up um just the idea of the spread and control of information which ties thematically into what they're doing with the outsiders that's what i was just getting to stuff. right is that manhunter whoever whatever's going on with manhunter is giving the green team and jack Ryder these the stuff that they need to dispel their information that the outsiders are behind everything, who is this, you know, phantom threat that nobody really knows, but it's, and if, if I had a guess knowing, knowing King, you know, the green team are behind that to give themselves a, you know, an enemy to rally people behind. And it feels very much with what he was saying in Rorschach, right. With how that investigation went. I mean, so. it's entirely possible it won't happen. It'll just be like a comparison thing thematically mm-hmm. throughout the, the book, but, Mm-hmm. it would not be surprising and it would almost be expected that at some point the dingbats of da- uh, Danger Street, the kids, will take on the green team in some capacity and you'll have these like ultra evil rich kids versus mm-hmm. these more likable poor kids from right. a shitty street uh, that'll, you know, like yeah. right, right now I don't see how those two end up meeting but it feels like almost inevitable that at some point yeah. we're going to have that conflict. Well, and if you look at the green team and the danger street, which was very confusing in the first issue, right? They all look very similar. Like there's almost like the green team are like a dark version of the danger street being bats. You know, um, they have, they have very similarities um, with, with each of the characters. So um, that that's not by mistake. And then, cause then when you look at apocalypse and new Genesis together, right They're they're opposites of each other too. So, uh, you know, I feel like it's just Tom King. We're, we're definitely, I, I line up with you on that one, right? That they're, they're going to have to, I feel face off and at some way or in, in some way, somehow, but, but yeah, I keep looking for who they're, I know who that character is, is the green team's like bodyguard. They're the one who executes that guy. It's just, it's, it's slipping from me and it's driving me nuts. 
Because as, as we've been having this discussion, I've been trying to Google it, and I cannot find it. Yeah, um... Honestly, it wouldn't shock me if there was somehow a twist where the Dingbats become the green team, since you're pointing out the similarities between uh -huh. them. You know, because it's not impossible that we could find out that... Given that I said that all the stuff with the Dingbats and Lady Cop with uh, Warlord and that feels separate mm -hmm. to everything you're on with yeah. the Outsiders and the green team and Jack Ryder, it wouldn't shock me if somehow they do become the green team. Admittedly, though, there's four green team members, and obviously and, one, and obviously right. one of the dingbats is dead. But after some weird magic at play that brings the fourth one back, right? I, you know, because you know, yeah. I'm, there's definitely some similarities. There's, there's there's one in each who wears glasses. There's one black kid in each mm -hmm. group. Uh, yeah. you know, like the hair on uh the other one <laughs> is kind of similar to one of the yeah. other guys on the green team. Like there, there is definitely some parallels between them visually. Now that could just be a, an intentional thing, like you said, like the the good and evil version of the same thing. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe they, they do something where the dingbats become the green team. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was I was feeling kind of that along the same lines, but I don't know. I feel like I feel like again, I've read enough Tom King at this point to realize that he likes to have these dynamics. He likes to have people to compare against each other and show how similar, but also how different they are. I mean, I feel like that was his first chunk of his Batman run was, was Bane doing that with, with Bruce. Right. Um, and I feel like here with that is just like you pointed out, these are these scrappy kids from danger street who they're, they're poor and, you know, uh, they have no control over anything yet. Uh, and then they're up against these, you know, billionaire rich kids that have all the control and seemingly, you know, devious designs for the world. Um, and if anybody can stop them, it's going to be this scrappy group of kids and lady cop, right? Like, I feel like it's going to be the unsuspecting heroes, not the ones that we think of uh, that are going to be the ones that slip by. So, but yeah, no, it's, it's Tom King stuff working at its best, I feel. Um, and Fornes' art here is just great. Like, the page with the creeper beating up Nat the Nat the sh it's bathed in such shadow it it does give it a creepy vibe and i hate to you know do that because it's it's right there but like when the creeper is licking his fingers right it just it, yeah makes me feel like shiver down my spine <laughs> uh you know yeah no i think the pacing for me in the art is, is what make, and as far as showed this on rorschach as well but it's the yeah it's the you know, nine panel grid into the full page reveal of the funeral. It's uh, it's the the build up. You know, it starts off with a close up of dark side, and then it becomes more personal when it becomes more of a friendship thing than it, than a regal sort of presentation to like you know the Lord of Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. You know, it changes its demeanor, and the art reflects the fact that it changes from one type of scene to another type of scene. So I think there's a lot of that throughout. There's a lot of smart choices made uh, when it comes to that stuff. Um, and, you know, it, this is reminding me a little bit of talking about Rorschach. It's very different story-wise, but the one thing that it is reminding me of is this idea of we're kind of piecing together what the book actually is in terms of mm -hmm. what the mystery is, what the story is that it's building. Whereas I feel like Human Target has a mystery, but Human Target isn't, like, mysterious in how it's told. It's very much, like, taking it one day at a time. We understood what the concept was clearly from day one, and mm -hmm. it's working through... Well, it's got twists and turns, but it's it's going yeah. through in a more straightforward narrative. Whereas Human Target, 
kind of like Rorschach, it feels like we're getting pieces of a puzzle and we're kind of like piecing it together uh, it's, with, with, you know, all the fragments that we're getting each issue. It's, yeah, it's very uh, dense, right? Like Rorschach was versus Human Target. Not that it's not dense, but it is more straightforward in what the mystery is. And here there's so many different, you know, cogs and levers and other things going on. And we're only two issues in on top of it. And there seems like we've gotten a lot of story for two issues. Yeah, we don't have the answer to the mystery in Human Target, no. but we know what the mystery is. Right. Whereas here, we're still even, like, there's enough intrigue, of course, like, I don't want to suggest that this is a problem, because it's not. I think mm-hmm. as I'm reading this, uh, there is a, a there's a fun element to actually trying to piece together what's mm-hmm. happening. And the reason why it's still fun to read, and the reason, or maybe not fun, but the reason why it's still engaging to read is because each story on its own has enough drama that sustains each part of the story on its own. You mm-hmm. feel for the kids losing your friend. You feel for uh, Starman and his guilt. You feel for Lady Cop because she wants to try and give these kid answers and she's mm-hmm. struggling to do so and she feels that she can't. Um, the, the propaganda and the conspiracy, the Green Team stuff, is intriguing. It's interesting to watch and seeing what they're up to. Like, mm-hmm. each part of the story on its own functions enough on its own with its own drama and intrigue that it makes the whole thing easy to enjoy despite the fact that we don't know how it all fits together yet uh that's where it would fall apart if those, those things weren't you know it's just like okay the end game's great and i've got all these pieces that go together yeah. but the important thing is is that each individual element is engaging and makes you feel something on their own and almost all of them do in the book so i think it's doing a really good job uh and I really enjoyed issue too. The only concern I had is that I really would have liked to recap at the start just to yeah. refresh. But I ended up going back and skimming issue one just to give me a quick, you know, or, refresher. Or even a character page too to remind you who these characters are. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you know, I always like that. I mean, I wish they would bring back the recap page. Yeah, always... I yeah, I went to DC Wiki and looked at issue one's page. I, I didn't want to look at issue two because if there's a surprise character, it would tell yeah. me that. So you I looked at wanna... issue one to just uh, see, okay, just remind me who all the characters are. Yeah, so I was like, okay, all right. Uh, but... Yeah, so so the guy that I couldn't figure out, it's Codename Assassin. That, okay, there you go. That's the guy. And then when that led me to first appearance was the first issue special where all of these other characters are coming from, you know? Um, so again, it, it's Tom King also taking this very, you know, kind of cult book and doing this whole big story with them. Um, with all the characters and making them all fit, even that, the new gods. Is that so. one issue special meant to be really good or something, or is this like a weird? No. Just like... So, <laughs> so the the research that I did on it was these were all meant to be like the first issues, kind of like a pilot season, right? And then something had happened that led to them being all published on the same time, and so they were all these little snippets of books that nothing happened with, and because it was such a low printing number. It became this thing, like uh, um, this kind of like cult fandom around it. Because if you had read it, there was a lot of stuff in there by, you know, Jack Kirby, Joe Simon, uh, Jerry Conwell and Conway and Denny O'Neill. So um, a lot of these just these weird type of things. Um, and it got reprinted a couple times that those weren't very popular. So it just seems to me like Tom King had read this thing, you know, so many years back and he's like i think i could do a story out of these 
Because when you pull up the list of stories, you have Atlas, the Green Team, Metamorpho, Lady Cop, Manhunter, the Dingbats of Danger Street, the Creeper, the Warlord, Doctor Fate, the Outsiders, Codename Assassin, Starman, and the Return of the New Gods. These are yeah, all characters I guess that have popped up. What I was you know? asking was really: is there like a, a critical acclaim around that issue, or is this something that it's just Tom King who's picked something that he that's, knows? That's what I think it is. Okay. That's what I think it is because uh, trying to find like what these actual stories about is really difficult, you know, because they were just these little one-off one issues. So I do think this is something that Tom King had read maybe as a kid, right? And it made such an impression on him that now he wanted to do this. So, cause like lady cop, I've tried to look up the character and it was like maybe two or three issues worth of appearances, you know? Um, and same, same with the Dean Bath to Danger Street. I know the Green Team became a book that I think Gail Simone had done in the DC YOU section. Um, uh, but other than that, a lot of these characters, you know, like we were familiar with the Creeper and Warlord, Dr. Fate, of course. So, you know, but there's all these smaller ones that are, are popping up that don't have a lot to work with, I feel, are the ones that are shining so far. They're the ones that King can do stuff with, like Lady Cop and the dingbats and maybe even the green team right you know uh judging from what we've seen so far yeah all right what are you giving danger street issue to i'm gonna give us an 8.5 yeah i'll agree with that 8.5 so the human target issue 10 tom king rating with greg smallwood on the r so yeah, uh, <laughs> last issue was the hiding from Batman issue, which ultimately Chance decided at the end, or realized at the end, that the reason why Batman's not coming is because Guy Gardner's not really dead. And that could, mm-hmm. you know, that, that might mean a lot of things, including the ace is, is lied to him and has deceived mm-hmm. him in some way. Um, and the first, because obviously the, the book starts with him drugging ice so, to knock her out so he's free to go and investigate this without her knowing. Um, I thought just before we get to the main part of the issue, I think the the art here at the start, like the way he's given her a drink and the way she's sort of like sipping at it and saying, "Oh, you tired old man," like even just the body language on this page is like off the charts in terms mm-hmm. of like she's trying to keep this light and flirty, and he's obviously up to something because he's had this realization, and the way it's revisited at the end when he does confront her and reveals that you helped Guy fake the death, and Guy went along with it thinking that you might take him back in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. The look in her face as she realizes that he's found her out is, like, comparing it back to that look where she's mm-hmm. on page two taking the drink from him, because it's a very similar panel mm-hmm. in terms of its framing. Just the, the facial difference between the two is absolutely fantastic. So I just want to show that out before we even get into like how he gets this information because obviously he's uh, mm-hmm. going off to see a, a Green Lantern <laughs> about it. Which uh, how do you pronounce this Green Lantern's name? That this uh, is Nort. Nort. You don't say the G. Yeah, right? I was wondering. I was wondering that. So, so how much do you know about good old Nort? How much? I have to say. Okay. So just the quick broad strokes on Nort is during uh, created by Keith Giffen and. Um, James J- Mateus for Justice League International. He was given a Green Lantern ring by a fake group of, of Guardians, right? So at this point, 
the Guardians are working with the Zamorans. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff going on uh, with them. And it was all part of this ploy by these fake Guardians to make the Green Lantern Corps as stable, unstable as possible by giving rings to people that would know how to use them properly. So Nort ends up with it, and Nort is kind of this fumbling, dog-like alien that means well, right, but just can't get out of his own way. And he eventually becomes a full-time Green Lantern when when Guy Gardner, when he ends up assisting Guy Gardner with some Green Lantern help, and Guy vouches for him, and the Guardians end up giving Nort an actual ring. And because of this, they, you know give him menial jobs to go do, which we, we get a little bit here. Um, Nord is this fan favorite character that, you know, popped up in Just League International. And then again, in like, I think um, Giffen and, and Demetrius did like Justice League Antarctica, where all these like Z-less characters and Nord was in there, you know, um, based, you know, from the pages of Justice League International. So to see him pop up and work with, with, uh, the human target with Christopher Chance is just, you know, a work of magic by Tom King. Yeah. Uh, I mean, ultimately it's him going to Nort, Nort taking him to the Green Lantern, like records room, which keeps tabs yeah. on where all the Green Lanterns are and what their past has been. Um, but there's a lot of like great moments along the way. Like when Nort opens up the portal to go to mm-hmm. uh, Oa, there's just this like great three-page panel with uh, Chance taking a drink, and then like the light hitting his face as he's about to walk in, and mm-hmm. then he walks in. And we don't we don't see the portal; we just see him walk out a out a shot out of frame, and mm-hmm. it's just this greatly paced page. There's just a lot, a lot. Obviously, the art's been fantastic in this book, so this is not yeah, a surprise to sit and praise. No, uh, little moments less, but it's those little moments where it makes it feel like a bigger deal. Like, it's like, okay, here we go. Like, it feels like a big step for him to go through this portal yeah. because of the way the art frames it. It doesn't just feel like, oh, it's just the next no. moment. It feels like, no, he takes this breath before he takes his step. He has one last swig of his drink and he steps out of frame. It makes it feel like just a big enough deal in the moment itself that everything just feels a bit more impactful as we're going through. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so to get to this records room, there's some good stuff here that I like, uh, how he looks up himself he looks up uh, Guy as well, of course, and gets the answers he needs. Um, but he also has the choice of looking up Ace. And even though he thinks she might be, you know, behind, like, some lies and this, deceiving him, yeah. he still chooses not to look because he's, he still feels that she's owed that that trust, like, that that would be breaking trust uh, of, a, of a too high a magnitude. So mm-hmm. it makes you like him a bit more. It makes you feel like he's got this moral code. He, he's got a line yeah. that he won't cross. He understands boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really good. Uh, but the highlight of the issue, other than like his interactions with Ice, I feel, is probably the moment where he's done looking at his own records that the, the mm-hmm. you know, the lanterns just keep tabs on everyone. And he admits that he's scared. Like, you know, he's mm-hmm. you know, Nort's asleep on his shoulder, uh, the panels are getting closer to his eyes. And he's like, you know, this is everything I've ever done. All these like bullshit things I've ever done in my life. What's next? I've got three days left. I'm so effing scared. Like that, it's actually a really good moment because I feel mm-hmm. like up until this point in the book, he's never actually just said that he's scared or that no. he's worried about dying. It's, it's always been this detached, I need to solve the case, you know, because time's running out, but it's never really felt like he's actually scared of death. Yeah. So 
Uh, well, it's a, he's finally at odds with his mortality. It's his job to die, right? Well, yeah, but like up until this target. But up until but, this point, though, there's always been this thing in the back of my head. Is I'm like, yeah, but is this one big long con? Right? Right? You know, because he's the right? human target. He fakes his death. You know, he pretends right. to die to get around it, things. But yeah. if he's in his narration thinking to himself, "I'm scared of dying," if, right. you know, if if that's really what he's scared of here, technically, because he doesn't say he's scared of dying, he just says, no. "I'm so effing scared." So you you could well, interpret that. Yeah, it's it's. I feel like it's a man at at odds with his his mortality. But also, I feel like there's also a story of about a man that's never really been in love, right? It's always been his work and his job, and that he was very good at it, and that's what he's done. But now ice came around and has made him rethink everything, right? Because it's easy to be the human target when you don't have anybody to go back to, right? But now, like with ice, he has developed this relationship, and now the fact that maybe she's taking advantage of this, and, you know, he... This is what he gets for opening himself up. And to me, that's also what scares him is that he made himself vulnerable. And this is the cost of being vulnerable is, you know, knowing that the person that you opened up to is the one that's been playing you the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and the goatee guy, uh, he basically, <laughs> he, he assaults guy with some peanut butter effectively because he's allergic to peanuts and yep. uh says you're going to tell me what you know or you don't get the EpiPen uh, effectively <laughs> my favorite moment though is him him on on the ground with the peanut butter right because he's choking and guy just giving him the thumbs up that he'll play there's just something about the pacing because up to that point right they go to a pool hall that's like what 20 minutes away from where guys supposed death happened. Yeah, he's not even hiding like another from. He's not even hiding or... anything. And and chance is like we're gonna do this mon. Well, first, first guy smacks uh, Nort with with a Green Lantern construct, you know. And you know, chance is like he's a good guy. He's just trying to help. And was that really guy? For? I'll just say it. Guy is a little bitch because yeah, guy basically agrees to you know fight without Mono the ring, fight yeah. without the ring. And then Chris starts beating the shit out of him, so Guy just immediately puts the ring back on to mm-hmm. cheat and go back on his word. Yep. Yep. He's he's very MJF in this, right? I'm not going to use the ring. Oh, <laughs> he used the ring. Right? Yeah. Then- he, he just he crawls back to his superpower immediately because he's losing. Uh-huh. Uh, right? and, like, so- and he makes the anvil, right? And it's such a cool construct. And, and Chance is standing there with his hand in his pocket, right? Uh, and then smacks him. And just again, there's a lot of talk uh, about vulnerability that I talked about here. And and that's what, what with Chance here talks about guy not not putting like his like peanut allergy. You never talking about it because he'd be afraid of somebody exploiting that weakness because, it you know, he's he has such an uh, uh, um, his masculinity is vulnerable. Right. So just him smacking him. Not even ending it with a punch, I think, is a nice touch as well. You know, because um, it's it's a chance. Is like I mean business. Like I'm not I'm not here mm-hmm. to actually throw throw down with you. I, I'm here to get information. Um, but yeah, and then he's because earlier we had seen him and Nort go to a pharmacy and drop something off, which I thought this is a nice touch too because uh, it was a prescription that he wrote himself because as one of his jobs, he was a doctor uh, as a target. He kept the prescription pad. So he wrote himself an EpiPen. So this is what he makes the deal with. And I just 
that whole sequence I love. Him versus Guy. Guy, you know, doing the coward's way out of using the ring after he said that he wouldn't. But Chance having a, a you know, a counter to that. Um, to and him the, saving Guy's life. And not even just that, the idea that Green Lanterns will usually tell the rings their weaknesses so the right. rings can protect them uh, if, if they see it coming. That's, that's but the, the idea is. that Guy wouldn't tell the ring about his allergy because he's worried that it would make him less masculine. Right. Is the insecurity, perfect. that's the word I was looking for that yeah. Fumble Run. Is he's so insecure in his masculinity, he didn't even tell his ring about it to keep him safe. So that's how Chance is able to hit him with the peanut butter. Yeah. Uh, but the, the final scene though where Chance goes back to the ice uh, uh-huh. and her like that look in her face. Like that tells me like when when he confronts her with this truth and she has that look as she says his name, Christopher. That tells me, and this is again how good the art is. That art tells me that yes, well, this is true. It's not because she is like that. I see guilt in her eyes. I see someone yeah. who is upset that he's found out. Not mm-hmm. necessarily because the, the the jig is up, but because she's she's aware that this is going to hurt his feelings. And yeah. whether or not like she was playing him to begin with, I suspect that there was real feelings that were developed uh, along mm-hmm. the way. Um. You know, whether that was planned, whether that was not planned, right. whatever. But it does feel like it's more complicated than just she was yeah. being a villain and, you know, going against him. And then oh. you get the cap off with him saying, here's to us, which, you know, she said to him earlier uh, before right. she passed out, because that's what they were right. cause they were having a drink yeah, when she right. passed and out. I, and I love how pointedly he says, yeah, I drugged you for a couple hours so I could, you know, I drugged you so I could get some time to talk to Guy. And she's like, oh, don't be crazy, he's dead. And that's when he he just basically gives her the whole what he's found out, and that's where she gives him the Christopher. Yeah, and you, you uh, can feel you can feel that disappointment from him as he says, mm-hmm. "Here's to us," because now there's this mm-hmm. uh, sadness to that statement because it's yeah. ironic. It's like, yeah, what yeah. we are may be a complete lie, depending on what she says next. Mm-hmm. So as far as cliffhires go, this is one of the most exciting cliffhires because if you're if you're on the hook for their relationship as the mm-hmm. driving force of this book, which it turned out to be, and I don't think we were expecting this when we started this book, nope. but, you know, pretty clear by issue two or three, that that's effectively what the heart of the book is, Yeah, is this well, connection again, between them. She's almost become an inadvertent femme fatale in that she had part of this plan and all this stuff, but I don't feel like it comes from a place of malice. You know, I feel like she does feel bad for getting him caught up in this because he drank Luther's poison that, you know, that wasn't meant for, for him. Yeah, you that's know? that's gonna be the sort of thing where she fell in love with them because mm-hmm. at first it was about guilt, but then she sort of yeah. l- learned to love the person that she inadvertently mm-hmm. got killed. Could yep. be uh, an interesting, you know, way to play it. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's just caught in the crossfire, and you know. Um, but there's just there's so much like, like that final page. There's so much like subtext to the way mm-hmm. he says, "Here's to us." Like. The sort of the, the feeling of betrayal and confronting her with this information mm-hmm. uh, and the anticipation of where it's going. You can feel his like heart broke or his heartbreak, I suppose, yeah. over it. Uh, just in his eyes and uh, in that sentence, because it's calling yeah. back to what she said earlier. Like all, all of that just crescendos amazingly in the ending. And I think that the ending, the start of the end, and then the scene where he's looking at the records at Onoa are three fantastic scenes that are some of the best stuff this book has done. What's so funny is that I think a lot of the stuff with Nort, because it's played for comic relief, I don't like as much as maybe most of the other issues. Yeah. 
So I, it, yeah, it, it, it's it, hard to take him getting the dog drunk, right? You know, uh, on on Oa, so he can get into the the Hall of Records. You know that that's not nearly as as good as a lot of this other stuff that's going on. And then I don't want to say the background because it's not the background, but like you said, the subtext of everything. Yeah, I just you know I, I think there's so much emotional weight to him admitting that he's scared finally, and then like that last couple of pages where like it all kind of comes together i think just uh, enough of the the north stuff was comic relief where you know he's thrown up on a guardian it's amusing don't get me wrong but i don't love it as much as some of the other issues that have been like like just phenomenal all the way throughout i think this was phenomenal mm-hmm. in places and then was just good for some of the rest yeah, of it i i do love just though in those scenes on on oa the green light over everything right just because they are on on there and just the way that that it, it plays with the shadows like right he has this the screen light on the from the folder that he's looking at and when it pushes it on his eyes when he says that he's scared just the way that the shadow comes over his face it's almost like a specter of death kind of deal you know um so it's you know so there like you said there are some good things in there but yeah the the nort comic relief stuff isn't like it doesn't bother me as much but it's definitely not the strong point of the issue. So I got about halfway through and I was like, all right, when, when, when kind of, when is this picking up on the, you know, on the, the ice and him stuff? So. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think fun. And the, the guy scene was good. Don't get me wrong. So I, yes. I, I, I think it's just a case of like the Nort stuff. Was it inherently interesting throughout as his confrontations with other members of the team that he's interviewed or talked to in the past? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but which is not not to say it's bad by any means. I th- I still thought the issue overall was great, and mm-hmm. there's a couple of scenes that are absolutely excellent. Uh, but yeah, you know, some of the rest of it's a little bit under par compared to some of the other issues. So, yeah. uh, but obviously the art's fantastic. You know, once again the 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 performances of the of the characters. You know, the acting, if you will, yeah. through the eyes, through the 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 expressions and the faces is is absolutely like the yeah. top top of the class stuff that you can get right now yeah so hey, i i've said it before this is my favorite thing that i've read from tom king and i feel like a lot of it has to do with smallwood art oh right? very possibly right um, so oh you I mean we've got two issues left i can't wait to see how it sticks the landing uh i suspect it right. will stick the landing i'm just yeah. i don't know how it'll stick the landing <laughs> yeah so yeah. uh very fascinating to see uh how we wrap this up but what are you giving human target issue 10 I'm even a, a nine, a nice solid nine. Yeah, I'm gonna go eight point five. It's still a great issue, and it still has some. Uh, arguably, a couple of the moments are t- like two or three of the best emotional moments the book's ever mm-hmm. had. Uh, but some of the the Nort comic relief stuff was a, a little under the the book standard, I would say for me. So I'll, I'll say overall eight point five, but really good still. Uh, so yeah, that's Human Target issue ten. So mm-hmm. every month on patreon.com slash TV, you can make myself or Connor read a book. Uh, I sh- I'm assuming Connor will be back soon to catch up and whatever he's... He, he caught up quite quickly for uh, over a couple of episodes last month and now it feels like he's behind again. But uh, I am going to talk today about St. Withens Day. Uh, and this is a Grant Morrison book. It wasn't quite a one-shot. I believe it was released in like three like chapters. Four. Yeah, well, four, four chapters, like- sorry. Or in like one of those British anthology ones, kind of like what 2008 right, yeah. is. So, but, um, so yeah, only like eight pages or something each. So it's like a, it's it's not it's not too much more than a, a regular issue when you add it all together. 
so it's Grant Morrison with Paul Grist on the art, uh, black and white, and I, I, I didn't know anything about this. This was just like you know the the pick for the for the Patreon book. Um, I actually didn't even think I could find it, and then uh, the Patreon gave me a link to to where I could get it online. Oh, nice. It's actually available for free on a website. So oh wow, uh, cool. yeah. So, um, yeah. So this is a, a depressing look at the mind of a of a teenager. So it's written in the eighties, and the story is about this uh, unnamed main character who is nineteen who is planning to assassinate the Prime Minister, uh, who specifically at the time is Margaret Thatcher. And it's on the it's basically the build-up to the day that he's planning to do it, and it's like just spending time with him and how he views the world. And it's it's a very bleak kind of like look at depression and like what goes on in someone's mind uh, as they're building up to this. Uh, but obviously, you know, spoilers for for the issue. That, that so that's the, the premise without spoilers. And I'll say it's very good, just as a, as a written comic book. Uh, with like I say, it, it's almost like too intense at times with how you feel like you're getting into this this guy's head, uh, with how he views the world. But the ending is that he never actually was going to actually do it. He we see him with a gun throughout the issue, but. There's several things in the issue that are revealed to not be real. Like he's he's talking to a woman in a restaurant at one point, and then it's it's made quite clear that she's not really there. And at the end of the issue, you find out that he never really had a gun. He literally just goes up to when Margaret Thatcher comes out the car, he goes up and just holds out his fingers like a finger gun and says bang. And he gets tackled by security, but like he never actually was going to shoot her. Um and th- this this deals with a, a few different things. It it deals with this idea that uh, this probably the main thing is this character feels invisible. He feels that like no one notices him. He feels that like no one cares about him, and it's about this idea that the only way he feels that he can have any recognition or, or be seen by anyone is to do something drastic. Uh, so like <laughs> assassinating the prime minister is the is the thing that he's sort of latching onto, um, and the whole idea of sin within or sin Smithens Smithens yeah. Is that so? This is a this was a saint, and the the whole idea uh, apparent. And I never heard of this, but apparently some people in the UK uh, still refer to this this way. Is that there's a day in summer that kind of like predicts what the weather's going to be like for the next forty days, um, and it ties into sort of the the mythology behind uh, Swithin's like history. And uh, there's a story in the comic about uh, how his body was in like with the poor people but he got moved to like the the rich like you know uh like like crypt or whatever and after that it rained for 40 days or something like you know he says that this is in the comic so so you're describing what we americans call groundhog day i guess yes yeah i I I mean not not so much for rain that's for winter you know um so yeah sounds sounds very much like groundhog day and i wonder if that's where it got adapted from yeah, I mean, a lot okay. of this book is, you know, it's this main character shoplifting stuff, it's him talking about the world, talking about his life, um, commiserating over a relationship that he had with with a girl that he seemed quite happy with, but that's ended now, and there's a lot of references to thing, things that are very, very British, uh, some of which I get, you know, it references, like, you know, snacks and, like, shops that I, I know, 
but it also references people that I don't get. So obviously this is written of its time. This was written right before or around when I was born. So I, I don't get some of the, the cultural references. But there's moments where he talks about he, wish he, could, he wishes he could just scream and there's a panel of him screaming and like everything around him is like shattering. But he's not really doing that. So it kind of keeps reiterating this idea that he like, you know, he thinks a lot, he imagines a lot of things, but they're not really happening. Um, but yeah, it, it's a really dark read because like the whole time it feels like it's building up to him doing this thing. And it really captures this kind of somber depression and like need to do something and this like sense of loneliness. It, it, it's a weird to say this, but it, it feels very relatable all the time, despite the fact that he's planning to do something really drastic and like scary. Um, it really captures that uh, that kind of feeling and idea. It's probably one of the most um, like just bleak in terms of like the human emotion that you feel when you're reading it that I've read from Grant Morrison and perhaps just comics in general, because it is just, it just hits you with it. And it has it so very, it's very simplistic art. There's a lot of the panels will have very simple backgrounds. Like I said, it's black and white. So there's not a, you know, there's not coloring in the backgrounds to sort of fill in what the walls are. There's a lot of blank white space in the backgrounds. Uh, but then there's panels at night where it's the opposite and it's like just complete black behind, you know, what he's, uh, whatever he's doing. Like he's sitting on a train car, uh, sleeping or listening to a radio uh, and he's just surrounded by darkness and again it kind of visualizes the idea that he feels this lonely he feels this isolated so yeah and he's also obsessed with this idea of like what people will think of him after he's done this he, you know, so throughout the issue he keeps saying, saying things like I know what's going to be in the papers in two days time and I know that you know everyone's going to be shocked but what are they going to say about me because he actually like, he steals some books and stuff at the start, thinking, oh, I'll give them, like, something to analyse. I'll, I'll, you know, they're going to find, like, these books on me that are going to make them try and analyse what type of person I was based on the material I was reading. Uh, but then he gives that up after a couple of days. says, yeah, no, I'm not going to give them something to analyse, and he throws them all in the river. But it's this idea that he's obsessed with what people are going to think about him after he's done Because he's, he's assuming he's going to die. Uh, he's assuming that he's going to be killed or or possibly even commit suicide after he's done it. And he he writes on his head before he, he goes to do it, even though we find out he's not really going to kill her. Uh, he writes, um, oh, let me let me find it and say the exact phrase. Because, you know, he's, he's constantly thinking about what people are going to say about him. The idea that no one really notices him yet. And this is the only thing he can do to be noticed. So he writes neurotic boy outsider on his head. He's like, I'm going to label myself <laughs> because I don't want to let them label me. Um, and he's always talking about the rain, which ties back into the St. Withens thing. Uh, and it's this idea that he, he, he hopes it isn't raining on the day that he does this, but of course it is raining the day he does this. Uh, the rain again sort of being this constant source of like misery <laughs> and depression along with everything else. And sure enough, you get this these, this final big set-piece moment where he walks out in the rain, puts his finger guns out, it gets tackled, and he talks about in his narration how it was worth it just to see her be scared for a moment. This idea that for one moment, someone this powerful knew he existed uh, meant something to him. Uh, and it has a very kind of like... Uh, it has an ending, which I think you could read a couple of different ways. 
you could read the ending is that he dies and he's happy after death because he, he mentions in the middle of the book that he likes trains and he likes run, riding on old trains and the final page after he gets his head slammed on the ground there's like a white panel and then it goes to like him on a train and he says how um you know he can feel the sun on his face it's bright it's sunny there's no rain and he doesn't care if it rains though he doesn't care care at all it's like i mean he, he literally says goodbye as well on this page so it kind of feels like a like a post-death kind of goodbye or you could read it as like after you know the consequences of whatever he's done he's just happy that he achieved what he did and he's on his way home but it kind of feels like a bleak uh kind of like death so, to me with with my viewpoint of things i read it as the the, the latter that he he wanted to feel important right and that margaret thatcher knew who he was in that moment in time right and so that that made him feel something again and now now that he's happy right that's the him feeling the world not being numb um judging from everything that you've said before mm. um I think it's interesting because it's uh it's very much about this idea of um like what does it take to feel like we are important what does it take to not feel like we're alone mm-hmm. Because um, there's this character who is constantly, like, there's just this constant feeling of that he is alone with his own thoughts and no one else notices him or cares about him. Um, so you, you're kind of building up to this, this, this... I, I think that's the thing that really gives it this 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 sense of mood and this sense of, like, a morose countdown is this idea that we're constantly in his head and he's constantly talking about what he's going to do. And it's very vague at first, you know, he's, he's just saying things like, uh, oh, like, after what I do in, like, a couple of days, it's going to be, you know, I'll be in the paper, people will know who I am. Um, it's the sort of thing where, you know, it, it does almost read like someone who's going to commit a mass shooting. Like, there is kind of that, mm-hmm. that vibe to it. But this is written in a time before that was before that, a yeah. common, you know, occurrence. So, uh, but it's interesting that you, you definitely feel those elements there. Um, but, yeah, it's... Um, it's a really it's a really strong take on someone who's depressed i think um and especially like someone who's young with this idea of like a teenager who views the world and dramatic events and this longing to feel seen this longing to feel accepted and part of something um and almost this angst and like this feeling of wanting to rebel, this feeling of showing that you don't have to fit into the world that everyone else says that you have to fit into. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, constantly there throughout it as well. Um, yeah. I, honestly, I was I was quite shocked with just how much, like, atmosphere and just, like, personal, like, this internalized feeling that it was drenched in. Like, it was so strong. Like, from, from like, th- two or three pages in, you already started to get this feeling from it, and it was there throughout the entire thing. It was there until the very end. Uh, so, very interesting read, uh, I have to say. And the art is is somewhat simplistic in, in its nature, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really smart detail in kind of the expressions and things like that. Uh, but there's very you know simple choices in when to just have blank space and when to have more detailed. Uh, surroundings uh there's kind of a a dead look to the eyes of the main character and the only time i think he smiles in the whole book i could be wrong 
Uh, no, he slightly smells when he's looking in the mirror before he does it, but one of the, the only times he smells in the whole book is when he says bang at her towards the end and he's holding out his finger guns. Uh, it's one of the few times in the whole book he actually looks kind of happy. Uh, bar, barring, like, you know, at the end when he's on the train in the sunshine, when he may already be dead. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, maybe you could read that ending as the death of his, uh, his teenage rebellion. Like, he's, you know, it's out of his system now. Um, he's learned to accept when it rains and when it doesn't, you could sort of say. Not, not, not that we're talking about literal rain, per se. We're, we're really just talking about mm-hmm. when times are rough, when times aren't nice. Because uh, there's one point in the book where he goes into his backstory with his, uh, his parents and how, uh, like, before his dad died, like, there was this, like, vacation where it was sunny and everything was perfect. But then after his dad died, it rained for, you know, however long and pr- probably 40 days just to stick with the that, that running story and theme of the book. But... Yeah, no, I um, no, I enjoyed this. It was it was a very intense read, and always felt like it had a a clear purpose and intention. There was this kind of like sense of dread, like counting down to this like event that he was going to do, uh, and then this idea that he didn't even really have to do it, and because it it felt like almost like such an obvious swerve, because not only because they teased that he imagines things early on, but yeah, like, I think you do imagine things even more so when you're young, and you kind of, like, imagine these scenarios, and it's just this idea that he wanted to to live it out. Um, so, yeah. Um, very good. So, yeah. And I'm sure there's, there's more, because he visits the town where the, the St. Swithin's uh, church is and stuff like that uh, in Winchester. You know, he specifically goes there uh, in one part of the, the, the book, so. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh. A lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, he's an 8 out of 10, honestly. Uh, wow. Yeah, no, really solid. Um, you know, so, some dated references that I didn't quite get, but <laughs> other than that, uh, yeah, it's hard to fault. Uh, it's, it's such a focused, clear story that it's telling, and it's a character mm-hmm. study uh, of an issue. Um this this idea of caring about what people think of you when you don't think anyone even notices you is very much the central idea of it. So, uh, and what that might drive a young person to do to feel noticed. So, no, really good. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Well, that'll take us out of the part of the show. We pick our favorite stuff of the week, favorite panel slash moment, favorite cover, favorite art, and of course, top five books, which is exactly how many we read this week. So, yes, uh, we'll see. We'll see how they rank. Uh, but, uh, Matt, what are you giving panel slash moment of the week? Uh, it's made from Human Target, and it, it's going to be when, uh... Is it going to he... something to do with Guy? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be Christopher hitting, smacking him, right, with the peanut butter. Um, right, because just, just everything that, that had led up to that, right, it's not a punch. I mean... There's a punch where it, it recreates the Batman one-shot punch, mm-hmm. which is always funny. But I feel the smack is, is much more important to the book than, than the punch. So that's going to be it. Yeah, um, I'm torn because I really like the moment where he admits he's scared mm-hmm. when he's reading uh, his life records. But I think I just have to go with basically the last scene of the book, uh, mm-hmm. the confrontation with Ice and her reaction. 
and his yeah. final line. I just like it's just it's just the perfect cliffhanger. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, cover of the week. I don't know if you got one at the ready, Matt. Yeah, so as you were talking about your last book, I went through them all, and I thought I really liked the Human Target variant, and then I clicked on it and looked at it closer, and it just... It was one of those things, the more I looked at it, the more I didn't like it. Um, so I'm going to go with the with the regular cover of Danger Street, because it's very creepy. Um, it's got good looks in a coffin with stuff on his eyes. Looks like coins. Um, and yeah, just again, very creepy. Hmm. Yeah, regular Danger Street cover is pretty good. Uh, I will say that. I think I'm going with uh, a variant to the Flash, though. I'm going to go with the the Mustafa variant to yeah. the Flash. It's the one where it's uh, all dark in the background, and it's like uh, Flash is like leaning down to like fix his boot. Uh, it's just like yeah, a it's... really atmospheric. It's like, you know, the lightning's kind of lighting yeah. the, the the page up, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's my pick. Um, all right, favorite. Art, Matt. If I say anything but Smallwood, would anybody be surprised? <laughs> I mean, I'd at least accept that uh, Federici and Fornes can fight yeah. for it, but... Yeah, but it, it's definitely... It's here, the stuff with Nort, you have the stuff with, with Ice, you know, the expressions are all there. It Man, just human target kills it every time. Yeah, so I, I, I gotta go with Smallwood as well, but it was a good week between those three mm-hmm. for for art uh yeah and segovia as well actually on well yeah. that's pretty good but um yeah so small bit all right rank your books matt all right number one human target two flash three danger street um four is wildcats five is lazarus planet yeah number one for me is human target number two is danger street number three is the flash number four is Lazarus Planet number five is Whalecats. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will tell you what's coming next week from DC Comics. So you will be receiving Nightwing issue 100, The Flash 791, Batman Superman World's Finest issue 11, Batgirls 14, Batman One Bad Day Bane issue 1, Black Adam 7. Lazarus Planet Assault on Krypton issue 1, The New Champion of Shazam issue 4, Batman Fortress issue 8, Stargirl The Lost Children issue 3, Monkey Prince issue 10, Titans United Blood Pact issue 5, Harley Quinn the Animated Series Legion of Bats issue 4, Fables 157, and GCPD The Blue Ball issue 4. Next week is packed! <laughs> what happened yeah. here? I've got like 8 books. It was packed, and then they dropped uh, One Bad Day, Bane, which, you know, is going to be hefty, you know. Uh, oh, so now, now I've got nine books, I tell a lie. <laughs> yeah. And this is where I'm glad that I'm not caught up on Black Adam. Um, <laughs> or or going to not read Batgirls next week, which I know I was going to catch up, but everything else takes priority. Uh, don't be a so, coward, read Batgirls. Yeah. I don't know if I'll have time, man. Work's been busy, so we'll we'll see. Scat Monkey Prince read Batgirls. Mm, I don't know. Monkey Prince is tying to the Lazarus planet, so <laughs> you, you know how I am. Yeah, uh, so yeah, a lot, a lot of books next week. Um, yeah. So that is, uh, you know, whatever it is. So expect a long episode, given that we've got a lot of books. Uh, we get a big special Nightwing 100, we get a One Bad Day One Shot, uh, plus a lot of books in total, and we will have solicits next week. So, uh, 
number um, three four is going to be a jam yes so uh the i checked the next week just to see if maybe we could move stuff but that week looks just as busy because of some lazarus planet stuff going on uh did you know human target 11's out on the 24th no i i, I assume that means this one was delayed much like flash yeah it was probably so delayed yeah. from an earlier week so human target 11's out on the 24th um and that also has Justice Society to uh, one bad day. Oh, all right, even well, we'll get to the list for that week next I'm week. I'm just but... saying, there's this is a no win. This is a Kobayashi Maru the next two weeks. There's no way to move stuff. We got a busy couple of weeks. We we'll just have to yeah. suck it up and get get it done. Man. <laughs> but yes, uh, so yeah, busy week of books next week. After two fairly quiet weeks, it has to be said. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. a shame that. A few things I uh, couldn't have been pulled forward, but hey, yeah, right. Is what it is. Uh, do we get these weird domino effects sort of schedules where we end up with like two busy weeks and two dead weeks? But whatever. Is what it is. That is the show. That is because from the multiverse episode three three nine. Of course, you can support all the content by going to patreon.com slash TV and supporting us uh, for any amount but the five dollar tier and up you get early access to the show you get it late on the saturday night whenever it's ready and out the oven versus on the regular time on the sunday and of course uh, i will thank our patreon producers which are one of our higher tiers uh, for the month thank you very much to tyler hess cindy palacios david sharp born now christopher moy david brown and al treisman and uh yeah uh, of course you can also support us for free by simply liking subscribing uh commenting of course uh, share us out on social media at dc comics podcast on twitter of course and you can rate the podcast on itunes or wherever your podcast from with five star reviews and things of that nature all of those things do help us out so uh please do uh but that is uh that is us i think i've done mm-hmm. i've done all my spiel so thank you once again for watching or listening we always appreciate it keep reading dc comics and remember to never get lost in the speech force Thank you.